welcome to Rogue History. We're back and still here. <laughs> so I'm I'm Eggy. Tell us your name, sir. What's up, Brian? Also known as B Lie by my my close you can't, friends. You can't say Brian and B Lie. Just be B Lie. I'm just B Lie. What's up? I'm B Lie. B Lie is trademarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Yaz, a.k.a. Yazinator, and I'll be playing the devil's advocate here. Alex. <laughs> a.k.a. Alex. Just My friends call me Alex. <laughs> uh, so now that we got all the voice recognition down packed, a uh, fun topic that started a long time ago and now is getting revolutionized one more time is value. So, Yaz, I know that you have a little bit of information about value and how it started and transactions and how we began using that to exchange goods. For sure. Um, So what I'm going to be talking about is a little history of gold and where we go go from gold. Oh, so you're starting at gold. Yeah, man. Gold. It's all about that gold, baby. (laughs) No seashells. (laughs) Brian, nobody wants to buy you seashells. All right. Where gold becomes interesting is um, London. In, in London, there existed a church called the Temple Church. The church was founded by a group of warrior monks called the Knight, of Temp- Knight Templars. There's a lot of Christian pilgrims move, going from Europe to Jerusalem, you know, for like to see Jerusalem, right? And they would carry a lot of gold with them, right? So bandits would mug them on the, on the way to Jerusalem and like steal their money and stuff. Fucking and bandits, man. Fucking yeah. bandits, right? Mm. And you're like... Not cool. Not cool at all. And Bandits night- are like land pirates. Land... <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> land pirates. <laughs> um, so they told the pilgrim, deposit your money, your gold in London, and you can withdraw it in Jerusalem. We're going to give you a letter... Uh, you know, a statement, a certificate of your deposit that you can pick it up in Jerusalem when you get there. That way you only have a paper receipt that nobody would be able to steal. And that was the first invention of like a modern banking idea as an independent entity, not related to like controlled by the government or anything. It was controlled by an organization, the Knight Templars. The Illuminati. Yeah, (laughs) the Illuminati itself, right? And then... um, after that, you know, they started issuing loans all over to, like, kings. Kings want to buy property from France and stuff. The Knight Templars, you know, they would lend them and stuff like that. They started the whole modern banking instrument. And then moving on from that to the year 1792, America, under George Washington. Congress at the time passed an act called the Mint and Coinage Act. And that act would establish the U.S. with the gold and silver standard. That means that the U.S. would use gold and silver as part of their currency. And it pegged the value of gold as 15 times silver. So one gold piece would equal to 15 silver pieces back then at the gold silver standard. So by definition with that, the government is obligated to buy and uh, to take your silver and your gold if you, you know, if you want to use them for payment and stuff and then issue them again. The problem was that happened during the Civil War. It like really hurt them economically during the U.S. Civil War. So by then, they started issuing fiat currency, like a paper trademark that they can use on top of the gold and silver that they didn't have yet. Do, and we, know, do we know what fiat stands for? So like, I, the first time I heard this term, I was like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. But everyone just kept saying fiat, fiat in relation to cryptocurrency. And I was uh, like, I don't know what this word means. Fiat is just paper currency. Yeah, but it has to stand for something, right? It stands for feet. <laughs> Brian looks like the man with the plan right now. I, I am the man with the plan, and also Google oh. and Wikipedia. <laughs> but it seems the etymology of that word is from Latin, and it means let it be done. Whoa. Anyway, all right. Let it be. All right, let's, all right, moving. That actually makes a lot of sense. 
let it since his fiat is like paper money that it's actually worthless and backed by nothing yeah so it's like just let it be bro don't even think about it don't think about it stop trying to stop trying to decipher why this paper is worth that's a better interpretation of it but i think like the actual meaning was like kind of you know like the whole God, let there be light. Kind of, it has been decreed like a command, a decree. Yeah. Sure oh, actually, that's probably what it is. It's like, oh, I hereby decree that this is money yeah. is worth something. Thou art paper money. Yeah. yeah. Isn't "Let It Be" also a Beatles song? It is. It yeah. is. That's a good song, by the way. All right. So after like the American Civil War, when they issued fiat and stuff, and this is an interesting fact about how America became a global superpower after World War II. Europe was devastated. They had to spend so much money on rebuilding shit, right? The U.S. at the time didn't have to rebuild shit. I mean, maybe they had Pearl Harbor to rebuild and stuff, but other than that, there was nothing for them to rebuild within America. So what they did, they passed an act called the Bretton um, Woods Act in 1944. And that act basically pegged the the price of gold to the U.S. dollar. So whatever the price of gold at the time is connected to the price of the U.S. dollar. And nobody's ever done that in the history of gold. And that what made America like a global superpower because that was such a radical experiment that was unheard of at the time. It's like, holy shit, they're, they're valuing their dollars according to the price of gold globally. So you know, it made them like people start understanding that the U.S. economy was getting stronger and stuff because of that. Um, fast forward from that to the Vietnam War era, the U.S. lost a lot of money to U.S. You know, the Vietnam War and the gold standard was dropping down. So the value of gold was dropping down the Vietnam War. So by definition, because the U.S. dollar backed by you know connected to the price of gold, it went down. So because of that, Nixon was like, "Holy shit, guys!" 1970s time, right? He's like, he moved them away from the gold standard and now we're not supported by a gold standard anymore now we're a debt-driven economy um fiat currency that's backed by nothing and inflation late happens all the time on our u.s dollar that's being worthless annually well it's not backed by nothing it's backed by uh hundreds of nuclear missiles sure yeah <laughs> like it's backed by the american military by firepower you got a problem with this paper <laughs> <laughs> you got a problem with our paper i'm pretty sure enriched uranium is worth more per weight than gold <laughs> yeah so fast forward now it's like 2008 economic crisis and 20 2008 economic crisis happened and people are sick and fed up with like the banking um you know, banking industry and how, like, you know, devalued our currency and stuff. And now a beautiful thing happened in the name of cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency came with the introduction of a coin called Bitcoin by an anonymous guy called Satoshi Nakamoto. Came out of nowhere online. He dropped this information on a cryptocurrency. It's a decentralized mechanism that cannot be controlled by anyone, one entity, but controlled by everyone. So it's like technically a digital gold for the people that anyone can participate in and nobody can control specifically. And it has a lot of the same values as gold. Well, I'm going to like step in on that one. Go for it. Theoretically, yes, you cannot, one group cannot control it. However, Illuminati. the design of it allows for... 51% of that. Right. The design of it allows for large groups possessing a lot of com computational power to mm -hmm. swing... Yes. Certain things it that like so it's now, not like egalitarian in the sense that like a lot of people praise it to be. But it's it, better than any other thing that we have at the moment. If you look at it as a store value, like something that you put your money in and you wait ten years, 
five to ten years, and then you would draw your money out as a store of value that would, even though it's fluctuating, it averages out over time to give you a higher value of return on investment than from now into the future. That does, in a way, make it better because let's say you put but that's that. That's a that's a guess. That's you don't not, know where it'll be in ten years. You don't right. know where it's going to be in ten years for sure. And there also isn't that long of a history of it too. So it's, it's yeah. been ten it's like years. A, it's the longest. It's, it's, it's a the longest op- history of any cryptocurrency. But, of any cryptocurrency, right? But not of any storage of value. So no, if you look at it like like you know anything else, I'm just playing devil's advocate sure, here. Sure. Yeah. Like, I thought cryptocurrency was the devil's advocate. You guys are supposed to be playing normal advocates. Well, nothing yeah, should be know, nothing should be blindly followed, right? Exactly. Everything yeah. should be questioned and criticized. Definitely. And then I agree. If I agree. it can stand the test of criticism, yeah. that's a good system. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, if you're going to say it's well, going to supplant... Like stand the test of criticism. Oh, yeah. Wow. Let me type that down. Please do. Tattoo I would, that. I would yeah. always say, if I ever have an argument that I ask you guys not to criticize, it's a bullshit argument. You <laughs> should always... I should always be able to back up a Absol- point I have. Yeah. Agreed. So... With something like Bitcoin, uh, there are very, very like optimistic speculations, like with what Yaz is saying. And it's not that I disagree with it, but it is a like it's not a set thing. And the way people talk about it is as if it's a set thing, which is like you wouldn't accept that from any other currency. Mm-hmm. So why is this one uh, the special so, treatment? So I'll tell you why. Because you you're expecting it to be, I'm expecting it to be a better alternative to the current system that we have, right? So if I put my money in the bank, I guarantee in ten years my money is not going to be more. So basically it comes down to this. When you keep your money in a bank, your money is subject to two factors, right? Interest rate and inflation rate. And depending on which one is higher than the other, that's how you determine whether or not that value is going to increase, stay the same, or decrease. And which one is higher will determine like what happens is if your inflation rate is higher than the interest rate, your value You're will losing decrease. Money. You're exactly. I get it. And then However, you can nobody, extrapolate the rest from nobody there. saves money for 30 years in just a regular savings account. They put them into investment no, accounts. You, you, well, see, you'd think that. You, a yeah. lot, a people lot of people actually just keep their money in a savings account. Okay, well, that, so, so to the listener, that's a bad strategy. Yeah. But there are, yeah. there are ways to use uh, dollars. Definitely. And invest them in safe ways that do grow more than the inflation. Absolutely. And Absolutely. But so if someone were to do... So I'm, I'm saying, like, let's be apples and apples here. Mm-hmm. Right. So a smart investor with cash, and yes. a smart investor with Bitcoin, comparing those two things, can you necessarily say that the dollar is going to, in 10 years definitely lose value of as course. compared to Bitcoin. Absolutely. That's a guess. It's, it's no. mathematical. No, it's, it's mathematical. It's not, if, not if everyone decides no, no, but like, that look, they don't look, trust Bitcoin. No, no, no. You can't, you can't compare USD to Bitcoin in that sense. Let's, well, let's, say, let's, let's, let's find let's, the closest comparison. Okay, let's, let, let's say I put $100 into Bitcoin right now, or I put $100 in a saving account. In 10 years, I guarantee you that the value in Bitcoin is going to be higher than you if I buy it. You can't that. guarantee that. That's no, just okay. a Yaz guess. That's not a Yaz guess. That's like, dude, your $100 in your saving account, it valued every year how do you know bitcoin is not going to go to zero by that i mean i again i my like pers- it. my I personal like belief is that it will increase in value not a guarantee that's, though no exactly not a guarantee that's a, that's a belief at the end of the day there's no like there's no like hard there's no, evidence to say that it will increase in value. Right. The word guarantee Wait, should be taken very literally. No, no, no. Yeah, that's like one plus one equals two. Yes. I get, here's and what there's I get. no formula for that. No, no, no. But that. like the guarantee is it's going to do better than your USD. Whether it goes up or down, it's still going to do better than your USD. Not if everyone in the world decides that they don't trust it, then it right. is worthless. Mm-hmm. I, I also am optimistic about it. So for the record, like I, you know, I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, but I just don't want people to lose uh, all their money in any situation where it's, yeah. it's told to them. Yeah. Anytime someone says this is a sure thing and it has yeah. to do with your money, 
be skeptical because the history of America is people losing their money because some salesman told them this is a sure thing. But like, first okay, of all, I'm not. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm not telling anyone an investor. <laughs> He's money not a salesman, to, by the way. Yeah, this is a good person. I'm not like, <laughs> no, no, but like, but but that was a false argument because I didn't say that you know you should put your money into Bitcoin. But if you're going to compare Bitcoin to the USD, the USD devalues over time. Your hundred dollars in ten years going to be like thirty dollars in today's value. Right, if but you just hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, but like, but like, let's say, okay, okay, you want to talk about store value? Put your money in gold. You're going to tell me the value in gold going to decrease the hundred dollars that you put in gold in 10 years going to decrease in value compared to the us so, so compare gold so here, how about man. this well let's no, let's sorry. <laughs> let's 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 put that down for a second there's no matter how much your interest rate is your interest rate never going to be higher than your inflation rate would any bank try to find me a bank that's higher than your inflation rate. i will sign up tomorrow so that's that's the thing i will sign up tomorrow that's because the the fed sets that because they're stealing rate. your money Okay. I mean, there are reasons for setting interest rates at certain levels. This and is that's the most like, passionate I've ever seen. Yes, I really yeah. appreciate <laughs> there are reasons, this. There are reasons why interest rates are low and interest and reasons why interest rates should be high. And because that's, they're robbing the American people. Well, part of it is to like stimulate, you know, investment in other sectors and things like that. And it, it's a subject that's probably beyond the scope of this conversation. Um, but there is a reason why interest rates are at a certain rate. And like, if you know, like, if you guys aren't aware. But like interest rates have been suppressed to a low level because we just came out of a recession. Thanks, and Obama. people, yeah, and people <laughs> have been hesitant to spend money in the economy, like take out mortgages, take out loans, like put more money into markets, like local businesses and things like that. And that's why interest rates are low, so that they can take out loans to buy things. And to piggyback off your earlier point, though, about the United States' growth and like after World War II. Keeping your money in the bank during that time was actually a very good Yes, option. after World War II, because well, the that's what I'm saying. Act, yes. that, so that's my point at the end of the day, is that these things are variable. Interest rates, inflation rates, yeah. they're not static over time. Over 10 years, it could change by a lot. Right. right? Things we cannot even fathom and For predict sure. now. You know? So like to say these are an absolute guarantee is kind of, I'm very hesitant and reluctant to like say that, um, as I am with like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I can't say with a guarantee. Okay. I, I've been very, <laughs> no, listen, I'm very quiet because I don't understand any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like I have a checking and a savings account and that is the extent of my <laughs> investment knowledge, but it is something that, you know, needs to get more into it, but I don't want the, the, the history of things to get lost here. Right. For yeah. sure. So yeah. if we're talking about, yeah, if we're talking about, <laughs> So gold is the standard for currency right. at the beginning from ancient Egypt, right? right. Gold and silver are going to be the standard for currency. Right. And then on top of that, we went on to build a fiat system mm-hmm. where it's like we give these pay- the paper money to right. exchange currency. And then now, fast forward all the way to now, where we have this the introduction of possibly these this newly this new economy right. being fueled by cryptocurrency. Right. Now, before I could even join this conversation, and this is a mm-hmm. very recent history, what the fuck is cryptocurrency? Okay, so four or five sentences. Before yeah. I can't, I, I don't know if I can do four or five four sentences, but, I, but I'll simplify it. Like, you know what? The, the, I love where you were going because you started with before and I feel <laughs> all epic stories start with before. before. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so before cryptocurrency. All right. So what we should look at it is forget cryptocurrency. Look, we look at the system behind cryptocurrency and that's a blockchain. So what is a blockchain is um, a decentralized 
system for storing value, um, for recording storage of value. To compare it to what we had before, like you were mentioning earlier, a bank is a centralized system. So it has a database of everyone's accounts. And like, let's say I go to the bank, I, you know, I use a credit card to withdraw money. It's going to electronically go to the bank and the bank is going to know I have that money and it's going to like transfer that money to the merchant that I'm buying from and stuff like that. It's all centralized. It has one connection, that centralized system. A decentralized system is, it's like a bank, but not owned by the bank. It's owned by us. Of the Bitcoin. You, you participate in it by running a node, a node for Bitcoin. What's a node? So okay, so to tell you what I know, uh, so to tell you about this, um, why a decent, how a decentralized system works first. Um, what I explained to you earlier with the with the banking example, the banker is in in a way their record keeper of a transaction point, you know, from me to the merchant. Now, without the with the absence of a bank, when people are running things, like when it's like a decentralized system, who's in charge of um, doing a tra- record keeping of like, let's say I send Bitcoin to Tra- Brian transactions, transaction, you know, like okay. a, you know, the ledger, the le- who's the ledger, right, between me and Brian and stuff. It will be like other people participate in the network. Now you gotta ask yourself a question: Why the fuck would I wanna? If I would I care if like let's say Alex wanna send Bitcoin to Brian? Why should I run a node to, you know, to validate the transaction that you know Alex has money, Brian has money, Alex transferring money to it with the absence of a bank? Like why, what's the incentive for me? And the incentive is running a for, for running a node is mining. Basically, every time somebody writes a record of you know, person A sending Bitcoin to person B, that person who's writing that record down in a node makes money. They add the Bitcoin to their, you know, newly freshly minted Bitcoin that gets added to their wallet. And that's like incentive for me to make money over, when with the absence of a bank to, you know, you know, doing that valid transaction. And that's the definition of what a decentralized system does. It can give you an incentive to... Uh, keep become an open source, you know, open ledger system that would verify transaction between multiple parties. Okay. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So so far, this is what I gather, right? So right. everyone has to participate in the economy. It's a shared, you know, yeah. it's a shared imagination kind right. of thing, right? Right. So then, if you have a transaction between Alex and Brian, right. you and I can then be the ledger for that exactly. transaction, and then when we do that, we get like a processing fee. Pro- that no, we collect yes. that yes. doesn't no. come out of our pocket. No, 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 no right. Yeah. We collect a, okay. a processing so the system fee that is bigger, right. and you get a little piece of the bigger. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, the, and only that, but like the new the new processing, it's not only processing fee, you get a new Bitcoin with the processing fee. Like so it's like a new gift. That adds value to the ecosystem because there's it it, it 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 validates there's a value because Alex thought there's value for transferring Bitcoin to Brian, and then the addition of a new Bitcoin adds value to like the market cap, like like how much uh, Bitcoin is in circulation. Okay. Okay, I'm following. So okay. that's what mining means. So mining right. means you got to have the computing power to exactly. go in and then begin I, to right. keep these records and you use exactly. the blockchain to keep these records because it's an encrypted mm-hmm. form of... Uh, storing information right. storing transaction details right. okay and this is like a relatively intense amount of hardware and processing right like so, right. Yeah. so like let's say i mean back in the day when it first started under satoshi nakamoto um when he you know he distributed the system and people started doing it you can do it with your you know laptop mm-hmm. and stuff and by the way let's say me and you are mining at the same time we have different nodes we're technically competing 
to validate the transaction. We're competing for validation. Uh, for va- exactly. Okay, so, so I get it. So it's like a it's it's like a person driven ecosystem. Think, uh, have you ever used BitTorrent? No. I was, okay, so I've it, never even seen it. Okay, no, so no one's seen it, right? Like bit, torrenting. Tor- have you, have you ever torrented? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so That's what like yeah. BitTorrent. BitTorrent. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Wait, sorry, so I like, thought I thought you asked me if I ever seen Bitcoin. No, no, no. How many Bitcoins do you have in your pocket right now? I'm like, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever seen it, man. No, 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 In your in your third eye, man. No, like so swimming bit, in yeah. fucking bitcoin so bittorrent bittorrent is the same mechanism it is yeah peer okay. to peer in which that i like let's say somebody shares a file and then a million people want to use you want to download that file yeah. it's like a peer to peer like so that the same kind of structure in a decentralized bitcoin transaction yeah but no one audits the bittorrents though right no, no, that, because it's just because that's it, just a transfer of information. It, exactly. It's not a transfer it's, of value. It's not a transfer of value. Correct. Okay. There's no incentive for you to upload and download. Right. Except for the content itself. Okay. So now, all right. Now that okay, I feel a little bit more caught up now. All right. Cool. So now I just want to get straight into this because historically we've seen a lot of different uh, currency mm-hmm. systems uh, arise, uh, fall, mm-hmm. come in, for be sure. great, be terrible. Right. So what is it that separates this from gold in ancient Egypt or from the introduction of the gold-backed U.S. dollar and then the introduction of just a fiat paper currency backed by missiles? Okay, so So my personal take on this, I don't think for me, I think think it'll be very premature for me to say that this is better than gold. I don't know the answer to that question. But you think yes? I, I don't think it's I, I don't think I think it's too early. I think it's easier to use than gold for sure because you can go halfway across the world. I can send you a Bitcoin, which is a transfer of value. And I, but if I want to transfer gold to you, I have to physically carry it. So mm-hmm. it's not as portable as Bitcoin and stuff. But when I look at it, but like for me, storage of value has always been gold has been number one, better okay. than any currency. Currencies rise and fall. I, I say let them all burn. Yeah, gold is for me is like the the true value. But why? That you want to answer that? I just yeah, I just wanted to add like one comment. If you think about it this way, uh, civilizations have come and gone. They've all had like their own forms of currencies and things like that. Gold has withstood the test of time. You know, it's, it's always elemental. existed. Whether it's, what value it had exactly always changes, obviously, but it still had value. It's, yeah, it's weird because you can't do shit with it. You can. Yeah. For you electronic- can exchange it for money. Oh, oh, electronics. Actually, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> Alex and I had a conversation about this before, but like gold is actually used in technology. Okay. So yeah, like if you've ever seen the lunar module at like uh, Kennedy Space Center, have you ever been there? That's Florida? in DC. Oh no, no. Uh, I think Clearly, that's a, I haven't been. That's in Florida, right? Florida. Yeah. I think there's also a a model of one in DC, and uh, like one of those Smithsonian's. Yeah. Yeah. But if you ever looked at a picture of it, you'll see that there's like this bait, their legs, right? And then there's like this weird hexagonal looking thing on top. And then on the bottom, there's like this kind of like weird square looking base. Okay. And it's covered in what appears to be like this goldish uh, paper. That's a gold foil. I've seen that. I've seen pictures of it. So the uses of it are that it's one of the, it is the densest. Is it the densest? uh I'm not sure. If it's great for material. Material. But it's super malleable. I know it's great super for like malleable. transferring, um, like f- uh, it's highly conductive. Con- it's a conductor. Like yeah. it's it's a good conductor because highly I know- conductive. It reflects radiation. Oh, it ref- 
actually, sorry, either it reflects or it doesn't allow uh, like particles to go through. De- wow. Deflex. Yeah, deflex. Yeah, because I know they charge. They charge, they charge pretty high prices for like headphones that come with like gold jacks. But that's like more like a jewelry. Access. No, 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 oh. no. Not full jewelry. It's because it's more. Oh, con- it's it's, okay. it's more conductive. So like, like a higher quality. Like, yeah. So like the actual oh, headphone jack okay. piece, you get higher quality using like a gold, yeah. gold plated. Uh, yeah. headphone it, it has its uses. It's not just like a storage but of value. It's not. But like I mean, you also can look at it. It's like the basic like, as an element. Right, it's existed from the existence of the universe, like you know, as an element found in nature. Yeah, and you can't compare that to like a government printed paper, right? Because it exists outside of the, right. the government, and, and every gov- like like Out I mean like artificial in, constructs. Right. Yeah, but the thing is about it that it's like if if collectively people say gold is nothing, then yeah, gold will yeah. be nothing. No, so, but, so but that's that, that's false because it's the uh, serious. It's very hard for you to find gold. Like the Incas and the Mayas, they, they treasured gold as well because it was very hard to find. There was the California gold rush. People, if you find just a nugget of gold, you, you, you made bank and These stuff. things are all historically true, but I think what Edgar's saying is like in 10 years, you have no guarantee that we'll have the same mindset as the Incas, right? So I, I, I agree that historically, there, it's indisputable, that like, go, like absolutely indisputable, that gold is the most consistently valuable thing throughout all human yeah. history, no doubt. But you can't always look at historic data and be like, and therefore the next 10,000 right. years will go exactly like, the like same Like in way. the same sense where like if governments around the world were to suddenly say trading Bitcoin is a felony. Exactly. If you could one day no, just synth- if you could just one day synthesize gold, it becomes worthless. No. And it's not. So. So, OK, here's the real question. Yes. Improbable versus improbable. Like, sure. Yeah. But like if someone could synthesize gold and it becomes. <laughs> Dude, it's a hypothetical question. So yeah. if you could if you could synthesize gold, I mean it's not we could eventually we'll be able to synthesize anything. First off, it's n- none of this is impossible. It's just a matter of if we ever got to that point. Well, if we ever could though. We we can. It's okay. been done. Alchemy? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this like, some University of California school, one of those guys, they were able to actually synthesize gold. But it's ridiculously expensive. Right. So it's so, not, it's not but, practical. And, it, you know, the first plane was ridiculously expensive to make, too, yeah. right? So first car was ridiculously expensive to make. So if, if we ever got to the point where we could factory make gold, it would lose its value dramatically. Now, of course, that technology hasn't existed yet. So looking at anything before the invention of that technology, <laughs> like cars basically change the way transportation works. Planes change the way transportation works. So you can't always look at historical data and be like, oh, horses will always be a reliable investment like if sure. you so sure, it's, I agree. you never but, know what technology is going to do so that's right. why when people talk about guarantees i'm like guarantees of everything works out so i'm from florida um there was a huge housing bubble that happened at the same time as the the, the great recession as we call it um and there was a time when for five to ten years anyone would laugh at you if you ever said that houses would lose value that the housing market would lose value and they were all fucking wrong. Every single one of them was wrong. And I knew a lot of people that their parents lost pretty much their entire savings as a result of that. And they got stuck with houses that were valued when they bought them at three times worth what they were after right. that crash. So you got to be a little skeptical about this stuff because whatever people think is like a sure thing is always just as sure as what we all agree its value is. Right. I 100% agree with you. But <clears throat> when you bring up the horse connection, horse is not a commodity. It's not a store of value. So 
that's just like a technology. You go from point A to point B. Gold has always been by all civilization, not all civilization. Historically had a speaking, yeah. Historically, about the but like, okay, look, if you talk about, let's say, okay, you want to talk 10 years in the future, talk about an apocalypse. All civilization is down. What's going to happen? You're going to use your USD to barter with your, you know, neighbors? No. Gold's going to always return to number one value. People See, I feel like water would be more valuable after an apocalypse but than But I'm gold. talking about a store of value. Water, you can't store value on water. But if there was an apocalypse, wouldn't you rather have water than gold? I'm talking about a store of value, bro. You're talking about survival. Okay, so I, I guess my my question. Bring it on back, Edgar. So my question, <laughs> just historically trying to understand, is what is the need? What is the need for stored value? I can answer that one if you guys want to let me take this. Take it. <laughs> Stop right. asking for permission. You're right. Just ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So why? Oh, sorry. Say that question again. Why do we need a storage? Yeah, yeah. Of value? What's the, because it's been going on since ancient Egypt, and yeah. and you know, so pretty much that's like yeah. from the start of like modern civilization mm-hmm. till now, we're consistently trying to figure out ways to store value to, yeah. to create these stored values, right. and every system replaces the last one, etc. And then now we're on the brink of having another system not replace existing yeah. systems, but at least enter the game mm-hmm. of existing systems. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I can definitely answer that question. Um, so I think uh, there's a little bit of a need for clarification here. The reason why we have this notion of a storage of value in the first place was not like we asked ourselves, why don't we have one? It just came to be, you know, as many great things are like fire. We just stumbled upon it. At first, we just needed to trade labor Um because we didn't all do the same exact things when we were when we first started civilizations, right? When we started specializing in labor, we just sort of traded favors or traded on promises of like, hey, if you like if you give me wheat today, I'll give you like a lamb tomorrow. Mm. Kind of thing, right? Okay. And then at some point we started using we started using physical uh, materials to like represent that promise. Right. I wonder if this is like tied to like the agricultural revolution. It, oh, it hundred percent is. If you're farming for crops, and it you could say, "Hey, I'm gonna give you this," that means that when my crop comes to fruition next next spring or whatever, yeah, you, you could bring me back this coin yeah, for these yeah. crops. So actually, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that is a hundred percent the reason why currency and storage of value even came to be. Um, a lot of there are still tribes out there, groups of peoples out there who don't exhibit the traits of what we call civilization. Um, they still uh, they still function very much like hunter-gatherer societies. They don't have this notion of currency or storage of value. Um, they operate very much like I described earlier. They still trade on promises, being like, oh, you give me, you know, like the berries you harvested today, I'll give you like half of the deer that I hunted tomorrow or the week after, right. whatever, right? Um, and that's almost universal in these hunter-gatherer societies that they see. And we only really see currencies and stuff as a result of civilization, city-states, nation-states. And so that's kind of like how and why, uh, sort of, at the end of the day, we have storage of value. It's for having that physical piece of a promise right. of what I can exchange my berries for. 
Okay, so I guess that that's a that's an interesting way to look at it, where like a currency is just a promise. So at least that's theory. From what I'm understanding, like the storage of value, what it does is that it really allows for like a complex network of transactions. Exactly. Right? Where yeah. you can kind of say and diamonds, berries, be. deer have no correlation, mm-hmm. but through this system, we can correlate all of these things and trade them right. Right. accordingly. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess yo, you know, so I feel like number one. Uh, just the 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 loss of humanity in it all is it's it's one of the things that make me sad. Where it's like, yo, yeah, before same. people did things for promises, now we need money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just speaks to the loss of magic in the universe. Uh, but if you think but, of, well, well, I, if you want a brighter side of things, that dollar is the physical manifestation of, of that a promise. promise. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. A dollar is the physical manifestation of a promise. So, but it's still kind of like. It, you can't manifest a promise. It's a dirty promise. Yeah, it's a dirty <laughs> promise. It's very dirty. Uh, so, okay, so just the, the stored value in the history of currency, we start out yeah. back in ancient Egypt, right? So we go, ancient Egypt will give us, and we're using gold as the basis for our, our, our understanding. Mm-hmm. So we start off with gold being two and a half times worth silver back in ancient Egypt. Right. And then we fast forward quickly to the to the 12th century and the Knights Templar moving people back and forth and needing to be able to store the money, right? So that gives us our first version of a modern Bank. centralized banking where people deposited money in London, traveled to Jerusalem. They could get that right. money in Jerusalem and not have to travel the whole way Carrier. with that money on them. Uh, then we fast forward to uh, Congress, 1792, the U.S. Congress uh, passing the uh, <laughs> passing the Gold and Silver Act. Um, it was um, the, the the Mint and Coin Act. The Mint and Coin, and then that plays gold at 15 times silver. Right. Uh, in that amount of time and then during the civil war gold and silver is replaced by paper money it's that not, is backed it, it, by gold yeah it was like issued paper currency on top of it and then silver was phased out after but gold wasn't uh, replaced by paper currency well by, okay by so it well it, it was back gold was used to back paper money in the yes. u.s yeah right it, it, re- it, it represented it represented gold it represented okay. gold that, but, but gold was still used as a means of transactions right. it's just time, like right? the congress yeah. to buy the war they didn't have the gold because mm. other people had it and they had to if you're only tied to gold they needed something else behind mm. it so paper currency came gotcha in. and then you have the the fiat currency after world war ii which was kind of like uh that that's when the usd was at its height and yeah. the money was worth a shit ton. Yeah. Uh, it had a lot of value at that time. Right. Come Vietnam in the 70s, Nixon says, yo, chill, we're not going to back this anymore. Yeah. We need to just, yo, y'all need to just all believe on this paper. Yeah. And we'll back it. Let it, I mean? let it we'll, be. Just yeah, let we'll it become, be. yeah, we'll become <laughs> fucking uh, uh, Congress pirates. And, <laughs> and then from there, <laughs> we go now to the most recent development in stored value, which is cryptocurrencies. And cryptocurrencies is something that exists purely right. online, right? Right. Like right. you. So, right. but you could exchange them out for like whatever yes. currency, so, fiat yeah. currency you want to use. So, with all those things withstanding, I still don't understand who polices cryptocurrency and i don't want to have a whole episode about it because it's definitely something that could go on because i feel like u.s dollars i like if my bank gets hacked right now and all the bank accounts clear out right right, that should i feel like as for some reason i feel like it's backed by an institution that would that would return exactly any money you lost now when you get into the area of bitcoin and that cryptocurrency 
you okay, you're your own bank. If if it's someone bad. manages it's to dangerous. hack into yes. your shit, yeah, and now you have zero hundred percent Bitcoin. And now we're back to people. If, if, now we're back to people walking between London and Jerusalem, and and if they get robbed on the way, done. they're no. fucked. And that's yeah, right. if, okay. If they get robbed, it's like if you have a hardware wallet, it's impossible for anyone to hack you with that wallet. Cryptographically speaking, which what we into. All right, so I mean, for now, for but for now, to to Alex's point, it feels like we are going to a point where we're now walking back across Jerusalem with our money and so, and being our own banks in I, that sense. I just think we're just like we have a highly cryptographic wallet that no one can hack into because the amount of time it takes you to hack into that wallet would be the equivalent of the sun dying out. The timeline for the sun dying out. But does that so by that computing statement, power? Yeah, go on. B- but by that statement. You would assume that no one's ever been hacked, and people have. So obviously, no, like, they haven't waited until the sun died to do that. Right. So well, it, it is possible. It's just maybe not possible through the front door. You exactly. have to use like social engineering and yes. phishing yeah. and social stuff like that. Social engineering is different, but like cryptographic engineering, impossible. Okay, and it's then like I mean, t- you have to yeah, backdoor yeah. your way in. Uh, yeah, yeah. And to that point, it kind of feels a digital, like a digital pirate. It kind of feels like more of the same thing. It feels like cryptocurrency feels fresh and new, but as soon as it is acknowledged right. as a standard, I think that the same rules of any currency set over the years will begin to apply to it. For sure, it because be it's, it's not it's not differentiating from the sense of like it's still gonna be like it's gonna be operated as money. And money is going to have a lot of these similarities with other types of money, right. historically speaking. It's just that it's just what's interesting about it is the lack of um, control okay. by outside parties, in my opinion. All right. I, I think one of the important things that makes it easy for like everyone, like not tech people, like you know your grandma, whoever, to agree upon the value of something is that it's easy to use and that it's safe. Like, I think that's what, like, people want. And mm-hmm. the day that Bitcoin does become easy to use and safe, like, not safe just through a front door attack, but, like, safe to the point where, like, like you said, Edgar, like, even if you got fucked over, somebody would, would come in and be like, oh, I'm going to take care of this. You're insured in this way. Like, right. the moment that happens, I feel like it's going to be like the, the floodgates open as far as adoption of Bitcoin. That's but a lot of people get really scared about this shit and they don't even, bro. My grandma can't even set up an email account. She doesn't want to use no. Bitcoin. Yeah, and set up I, a um, hardware wallet. But like, I mean, like, but does your grandma invest in stock markets and bonds and all that stuff? Because maybe she's not. Well, the you're target. calling it a currency, not a not. Yeah, a but bond. like you don't have, but you don't have to use it. You know. Well, no, yeah, I'm I talking about wide wide adoption. I mm-hmm. think uh, until until there is a FDIC for cryptocurrency that tells me, yo, you could only like if you lose anything up to this value, you will get it back. We are guaranteeing you that you'll get it back. I'm probably stay away from it. Yeah, but. Well, there are ETFs coming out. Oh, so. that's good. So the conversation right. shall continue. We'll have right. to come back to this and have a whole... Still uh, in the process of rolling. History of investment. Out, and y'all teach me how to invest in cryptocurrency. Um, what, what, what was interesting that actually ties right into our next topic is you mentioned something about the... Cryptographic. Cryptographic and, and the protection on it, right? Mm-hmm. And then that goes right into in, encryption, Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have a lengthy history of. And we have a a long history of encrypting things to keep each other safe ever since the magic broke. (laughs) The magic breaking, by the way, is the agricultural revolution. That's 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 what I'm going to say. That's when the magic broke. That's when we previous episode to hear our thoughts on that. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's when we stopped believing in each other. And we needed all these kind of things. That's when the music died. So. (laughs) (laughs) okay, so we have a long history of encryption. And and we use that for all sorts of of 
of reasons. And one of the main reasons is, is protecting and storing information and just using information in warfare, using information in all these different settings. And it all relies on strong encryption technology. Right. These days. These days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah. even then, because I mean, actually, like, even historically. Yeah, yeah. Historically, it's always been kind of like a technological yeah. aspect to it. Yeah. It used to be just secrets. Right. Yeah. Like Caesar cipher. Right. And you just scramble your letters around, replace it with numbers, things like that. Those are all actually forms of encryption. Like you've probably done it before. Like uh, what's that pig say or pig Latin? Pig Latin. Yeah. Pig Latin. Yeah. Where you just replace like. The I a ixpe Exactly. Yeah, that's a form <laughs> of encryption, right? Um, but yeah, so like to kind of like get back into like a history of information warfare, um, it, it's quite relevant to our to today, right? Um, these days, we're always talking about like who hacked us, who hacked, who hacked Ooh. this company, who hacked that company, right? Like what what body of government is trying to subvert another, right? And it seems as if like this is all a product of the growth of technology today, mm-hmm. right? Like with the internet, with Facebook, Google, right, Apple. Yeah, got it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that subscribes to that. Like, yo, I'm scared. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. my shit. No, man. Uh, this, this is like as old as civilization itself. In World War II, uh, to give a more recent example, um, um, so Nazi Germany was... Um, was sending notes uh, like messages to to each other, right? With mm-hmm. with this machine called the Enigma machine, right? Enigma Is machine, that correct? Yeah. Yes, Enigma. yeah, the Enigma machine. And essentially, it was supposed to be this unbreakable this unbreakable code that no matter what, if you if you had the brightest minds on Earth, they could not figure out the code because it was computed and designed by a machine that far like out like. Out they, thought they, a they human. would need to wait for the sun to burn out yeah, to exactly. crack the enigma. Yeah, yeah. Right. In terms of manpower. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they relied on this technology to send messages to themselves, to each other. And that was like one of the biggest obstacles to overcome during World War II because we couldn't figure out where they were going to attack next, where they were going to bomb, where they were going to send their tanks and shit, um, who they were going to raid. Um, and it took another uh, Alan Turing, mm-hmm. basically, to develop a machine to crack the code. Right. right. And that's like one of the recent examples. But this goes all the way back, like thousands Ooh. of years. Like for, I don't know if you guys have heard of this book, The Art of War. Yeah. I love Sun Tzu. It. Sun Tzu. Yeah. The Art of War. So there are 13 books or 13 chapters mm-hmm. in that, um, in The Art of War. The final of which is on the, um, the skill, the, the mind of around, uh, information warfare. It's also a really dope Wesley Snipes movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah. I for- totally forgot about it. Yeah. What is Wesley Snipes up to? Do? Huh? What is he up to these days? Oh, oh he's, no he's the man on Twitter. Oh. Is he? Yeah. I, I, didn't, I don't follow yeah, he has a pop in Twitter. Did he try to get into account. a fight with Joe Rogan or something like that? What? My, my money's on Wesley Snipes. Really? Yeah, dude. I don't know. I just, isn't he like? I, dude, I feel like Joe Rogan would just like get him on the ground, jujitsu his ass to death. I don't know, man. Wesley Snipes is an actual martial artist, and he did yeah. Blade. So is Joe yeah, Rogan. He doesn't. Yeah, I guess Wesley <laughs> Snipes is just like. Oh, well, I mean, whatever. <laughs> he just like he just kicks nice and like punches nice. He just looks good while doing <laughs> yeah. that. You know. Did so, he have? A, yeah, he had a quote in the movie. Always bet on black. When so what was? <laughs> when we're playing roulette. So what uh, was the um, passenger fifty seven? What, what was the correlation to war? 
oh, and yes. information. Sorry. Uh, so we're always talking. So these days we're talking about um, like Russian espionage, whatever, right? Like Facebook stealing information that's being used by uh, malicious parties. Um, and it seems as if this is like a new thing and a product of technology, but it's as old as civilization itself as evidenced by the art of war. Right. Um, yeah. Where Sun Tzu sort of like details um, in order for a state to conduct war properly and effectively and to win the war, um, he or it needs to be mindful of the indirect war, aka the inf- information war. Um, so I'll give you an example, cetera. like an, an ancient one. It's really bad as a technique for cipher, but um, Caesar, there's a, a technique called Caesar cipher, which he historically used to, um, what do you call it? Send letters to his general during the war and stuff. And the Caesar cipher is very simple. It's basically um, you you pick, um, what do you call it? You write the message down. And then you pick a, ma- a key, like a private key, that you and your generals know. Mm-hmm. And that key is just a number. Like, let's say the number five, the number one. And that's called, like, the shift key. So whatever your message is, you shift the letters by the, the, the key itself. So let's say if it's shift by one, if it's the key is one, like A becomes B, B becomes C. You, just, you add up the letters, like, to move to the next letter. Z becomes A again and stuff. But it's, it was like back then it was like the first like earliest, earliest way of like techniques for like secret messages to conduct right. warfare. So like if people caught them, they don't know what the fuck that so was. So how do you get, how did they get the generals the key? I think. I'm assuming the two like things they, had to be sent separately, obviously. Well, I mean, I think be before. A, a proper bef- right. I think just before, before they would go under, you know, expedition, they all agreed with Caesar what the key is. And he probably has separate keys for everyone. Okay, stuff. but like I mean, now that you look at it, it's such a bad system. Like back then, it was unheard of, right? Because right, but it's such a bad system because you can break it by hand. You can just trial and error, trial and error until the words start making sense. Right, because you're limited. You you have twenty six letters. Yeah, you have twenty six letters in English alphabet. So yeah. it's like you, shifting those around. You can eventually figure out what it is. So it's more of a deterrent than an actual like yeah. stop. But like it was just like an interesting thing back then, and like I mean, people use it now in like high schools and stuff. You know. Yeah, like I also for, feel like that gets a lot harder when literacy is a lot lower. Yeah. Right. So it's like I'm assuming that in ancient Rome, literacy wasn't at the top of everyone's list. Right. So it would take very yeah. little to like, sh- like if someone inter- intercepted a letter, they looked at it. Mm-hmm. I think that they would assume that it's a different language before they would assume that right. it's a hidden message. You mm. know what I mean? Like, it's just a very yeah. It was just like that's a very good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So what? So the Caesar the Caesar ciphers a pretty old one. I I know that one of you guys mentioned to me there was an interesting story about a, a Navajo uh, a code breakers during World War Two. Yeah, so ba- back to World War II. These were called wind talkers. And, you know, if anyone wants to see a very crappy movie about this by the same name, Wind Talkers, with Nicolas Cage losing <laughs> his shit like a psychopath, <laughs> like he does in every movie, uh, you know, it's mildly entertaining. But the, the true, the, the real story is uh, ever since World War I, the U.S. military had been using Native American uh, languages as a way of encoding messages. So then by the time World War II got kicked off, someone had the idea of bringing it back and they ended up using the Navajo language. Um, it was mostly used in the Pacific against Japan. And uh, this is kind of like an ideal source for code talking 
because they have the Navajo have no written language. It's only recorded in the minds of the tribe, which is a very specific group to the American Southwest. So, you know, the Japanese don't have access to Navajo people to like decipher Learn, this language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would use the Navajo language and add coding to it. So not only was it the Navajo language, it was the Navajo language with uh, additional coding. So for example, some words were representative, like a bomber plane was J-show, which meant buzzard in Navajo. So the word buzzard meant a bomber. Um, some codes were like a sequence uh, where the first letter of the English translation of the Navajo word was the first letter or was the next letter in the sequence. So for example, Mawasi, Niasja, Lakihi, Ze is a decrypting sequence that means cat, owl, dog, elk, which means the word code, C-O-D-E. So with that, this is considered to this day to be one of the most adaptable, flexible, and like effective coding technologies ever used in warfare. And again, they used it in three major wars. It was just, it it was at at its height in World War II against the Japanese. That's pretty cool. Um... And at the height of it, they had 600 of what they called wind talkers, which were native Navajo Indians that were brought into uh, the Marines. And they could code and transmit uh, up to 1,000 messages in 48 hours without any errors. This is a very reliable system. Uh, the, cons- the code was considered so precious that Congress actually approved a plan that each wind talker, the, the Navajo that was a Marine, would be assigned at least one Marine for security detail. And that if it ever looked like that, that Navajo was going to be captured, uh, the Marine was approved to kill the wind talker rather than have them be captured and tortured to break the code. So the cipher just lived in their minds. And it was considered so precious that Congress actually approved an act that allowed you to kill a fellow Marine if it looked like he was going to get captured and, and he had the code. So, like, what I love about this story is that, like, you know, this is the 20th century during World War II, which was, like, it's known as, like, a war where like every technological advantage you could get on your opponent was like this big step and like had so much to do with how likely you are to win this battle or or any part of a campaign. But what really won it in Japan is this ancient language. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what what I found interesting, what I find interesting immediately is just like, I I also found that interesting with the Celts or the Celtic people rather the, where it's like, how the fuck do these people do so much without, with only having oral language? Like, no, like you said, the Navajo, they have no written language. Right. So it's like, how do you run an entire society on just like oral history? You know what I mean? Like that's how like literally from generation to generation, everything is being passed down orally. Like someone has to be there to tell you. No one ever broke the promise. No yeah. one ever broke the <laughs> magic. The magic, no. they still had the magic. Yeah, man. Shout out to still the Navajo <laughs> and, the, and the Celtic oh, yeah. folks. They still trusted each other. Alex, um, so the Navajo, were they like a distant cousin of the Apache? Yeah, they are. That's right. So the, the Navajo are older in the southwest to the Apache, but they're more specific to uh, to New Mexico. Oh. It's a, sm- a smaller group that was like much more peaceful. They weren't really known as being particularly aggressive. All right. So I want to I want to wrap this up because it's clear that we've been using code and, and encryption for a long time. Right, uh, yeah. Historically, like it's been used since as far back as ancient Rome. Uh, it's been used in warfare during World War One, World War Two. And now I think in modern times, our encryption is done by computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and real quick, what is the relation between computer encryption and encryption in ancient Rome and ancient times? Like, what, how are they different? How are they the same? 
So math is how they're the same, right? The math, yeah, the math is the same, but like you're computing, like let's say there's an encryption mechanism called SHA-256. That's two to the power of 256. So that's a random encryption generator. Like just to give you an idea how big that number is, it's bigger than every atom in existence in the observable universe. So that random generator to generate you a key, a private key, the chances are that somebody else gets the same key as you, he might exist in another universe. Just because of how high the number is for probability. Okay. And that number is very impossible to compute in ancient time because who the fuck can compute 2 to the power of 256? I can't, right. I can't compute 2 to the power of something. Mm. I, don't know. I mean, it's just you the know, level of complexity, right? Yeah. It's yeah, like it going will, from Pig Latin to numerical. Yeah, what's, what's odd to me, though, is that how... How are the encryption stronger? Because, like, for example, if you have a computer that can do this large number, Mm -hmm. another person has a computer that can do just as large of a number. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like it's really hard. Or two computers. Yeah, or two computers. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like, so that's what worries me about, like, encryption, modern encryption all being, like, basically we're saying, okay, uh, we're not going to do the computing. Mm -hmm. We're going to let the computer computer do it. Over time, it becomes obsolete. Exa- that's what I mean. Would like, you, as it grows, that's why encryption you, develops over time. Yeah, because we need to develop more. Over time we need to develop more complex you, algorithms. You're talking about computers. quantum computing, right? Hypothetically, like that would make it obsolete. Right. Well, but that's how it's always worked historically too. Historically, so like, yes. We've we've always like further developed encryption, and we've right. we've come up with ways to like crack these codes over right. time. And so, like, it's always a cat and mouse game. Right. You know, like right. you're. One is always going to like mm-hmm. kind of go above the other, and then you just keep slowly moving up. Yeah, right it, it, yeah, it's funny because it's like you, you, like I feel like encryption, it's always approached with this, uh, with with the mindset of anytime there's a new encryption coming mm-hmm. out, it's always like uh, it's uncrackable. Yeah, yeah, it's like yo, the yeah. sun will need to die out first. But it's but that's the mathematical implication, of right? It. So, but but then but then that happens every time yes. there is a new encryption, and then over in in way less time than the sun burning out. We crack right. it. So functionally, you know I mean? it's like, like five so years. So functionally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like functionally, you, it's still yeah. But like, can, yeah. You, can you give me examples of when it was cracked? Because I don't, uh, I, I can't recall any. The the the, the Enigma, the Nazi yeah. Germany Enigma. But you know how they they cracked the Enigma with they, another computer. No, they no. killed a son. They actually killed a son. <laughs> <laughs> they cracked the Enigma because one of the letters, the many letters that they were tracking down that were written in code, it was ended with the same letters. Yeah, and one person guesses that that person is sending a letter to his girlfriend, and it's like they try to figure out what the pattern is, trying to say like "I love you" or something, right? right. But it was, was like encrypted. So instead of decrypting the entire message, they focused on that one set of code, like that little tiny set, this is right? Like, and tried to use all different possibility on a tiny subset of like the entire code. Right, but well, that's the, how they break codes right. always. Well, that, well, that's Edgar's point: is that like at some point. Someone, something is going to figure out how to crack like the SHA-256 encryption method, right? Algorithm. Right. But through, what? through computing power, yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's, that's, but it'll still be cr- cracked as cracked. So, cracked as cracked. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. like, it's not as if it's going to take like the lifetime of a sun in order uh, to crack current it. computing power. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, but current, but what are the likelihood? What's the likelihood of computer power plateauing and yeah. never no, advancing like, ever. Like, like, look, well, that's it, Edgar's point. Is wait, that like... I, it, so with compute, quantum computers, yes, you can 
cracked it. But like they're not like let's say yeah, your average hacker doesn't have a quantum computer. Your average hacker has a laptop. Yeah. So with his laptop, the amount of time it takes to brute force an attack on your machine in order to like guess your secret key that's from zero to two to the power of two fifty six is a really long time. To try right. all these methods. So by the time that he actually can like crack it, you probably like everyone moved on with well, their no, 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 but that but that's the thing. That like I feel like that example is is assuming that that person is not also moving on, right? So it's like sure. if you're saying in order for you to crack this today with this computer, right, it'll take you this amount of time. Right. However, as time progresses, the person's computer would also progress. Sure. So it's like what once it's one of those cases where you just hear like bad stats on like media or TV. You know, like how in on ESPN they'll give you like some shit about like, oh, this is the first time this team has like gotten three touchdowns in like 20 minutes, you know, when it was a snowy day or something like that. Yeah, like Red Sox. Yeah, this is the first time someone has stolen a second base with a number two jersey. You know, it's one of those like terrible statistics things where they're just like, oh, it's uncrackable. This is what it reminds me of. Like, imagine when like safes first came about, like a safe, and someone was like, yo, it would take someone forever to use their hands to rip this open. And then someone's like, yeah, but I have this tool that's new and now I can like burn through it. Yeah, And they're like, nah, but you can't do it with your hands. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, I don't need to. Yeah, I don't need to. I have this thing now. Right. Right. So So like, it would have to, like you said, cat and mouse forever. It is. Yeah. 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 So like, that's why cryptographers have jobs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So did anyone watch the show Mr. Robot? Uh, I saw the first season. Okay, so it's like the most, in my opinion, like, you know, it's like they brought a lot of IT consultants and hackers, like white hackers and black hackers. It's the most scientifically and technologically accurate hacking show about, like, the technology they use, the operating systems they use and stuff. And they always show throughout the, like, throughout the show. The hackers, how they hack social engineering, like what Alex pointed out earlier, it's impossible for them to actually crack the code using modern technology. That's why the te- there's a lot of trust in that technology because of like it's peer reviewed. A lot of cryptographers spent their life trying to bra- break the code that they invented, and it's like that's how you know it's not like let's then say who invented. I'm sorry. Like I mean, like the cryptographer. Cryptograph- okay. Yeah. So it's like it's like when it's peer reviewed and it's like it's mathematically stable. It's like it's not like right away I create an algorithm for you know like a random not you know key generator and then I throw it out to the world. I'm like you guys this is unbreakable. People would laugh at me. Cryptographers right. won't take me seriously. But like there's an institution in place that like is like its main concern is making random number generators that are un- not uncrackable but like very 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 expensive to crack using the available technology today. Okay. So when it comes to social engineering, like let's say you have your laptop open, I'm talking to you, you look away, I put my USB in there for just 20 seconds and I pull it out, I just hacked you. That's social engineering. Right. I use your phone for a second, I just like, I'm like, can I just call someone? I open my, my Chrome and I just go to a website, the website downloads a, you know, like a hacking scheme and it's like, I'm, I'm in your phone even when I don't need it anymore. That's social engineering. That for sure anyone can do. That's when you have to be careful, for sure. Okay, so I guess my my biggest takeaway take from this is um is basically like uh like the my understanding of it is that it's an eternal game, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the same way that the hacker's computer will get better, your 
your cryptography will get better mm-hmm. and you'll go back and forth forever. And it's just like humans love secrets. And I guess that's like my biggest part about history is always just that humans have always been the same no matter what. It's just that the the circumstances are changing. And it's like as the circumstance change, it feels like things are different. Mm-hmm. And because it's the first time that any of us are living through it, we feel like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like like that's a very powerful encryption. Is right. it, it, it? But to me, it's not any more powerful or any less powerful than like uh, Caesar cipher given, given the, the technology the and circumstances of the time exactly. I bet you someone so, told Caesar like yo it would take till the sun yeah. like burnt down <laughs> now name it after yourself yeah. and yeah. you're gonna be a fucking god <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like so but I guess that, that one thing that we have to keep in mind though is that it is an eternal game it's an yeah. eternal game of secrets mm-hmm. and it's all about figuring out alright I'm gonna encode this and someone will decode it. And without both things, neither one could progress. So I guess it's good that things are always getting hacked or continuously yeah. getting changed because it enforces both sides, right? Like it's it's the more you encode, if you just encode and no one ever decoded, that would be the end of the encoding game, right? right. So you need people to decode it, et cetera, and just go back and mm-hmm. forth. Um, well, that's why it's important to know to learn and know history. You know, you you'll fear less. Yeah, for sure. This isn't the first time things have yeah, happened. Yeah, like that was the, 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 when you mentioned, when you set it up and you were like, you know, it, it's something that people generally attribute to modern times, the mm-hmm. fear of being hacked. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, someone stealing your information from yeah. your computer feels like this crazy thing that's only of today, but it, yeah. it's a concern of humans. Since it's just a new word for something that's been going on forever. Right. Yeah. So, that's, and, and, this kind of sets us up. It's, it's funny because I love finding the little areas where we could go into nice the next. Nice segues. Next, yeah, the nice little segues. Segways. <laughs> and um, I think it's segways. But, uh, so, and this, uh, decoding is all about being able to crack an encoded system, right? right? Being able to use a key to crack a system. And there is no system more complex than the human brain. Oh, Jesus. It's a conspiracy. So today, our PopCon, as Alex is so eager to present, I see him. He's thinking right now. I see his thinking machine going off. And he told us about... His brain's going to last longer than the sun. (laughs) (laughs) He told us about mind control experiments. And I... I'm eager to learn. Like I'm all ears. Like I need to know how people crack this is these one of the, systems. This is like one of the ones I literally have no knowledge about. Yeah, I've got at nothing. All. Yeah, I've got nothing. So, so it's like it's up to you to either convince us or not convince us. Yeah, so, so because we're blank slates yeah. here. So so first off, what do we mean when we say mind control? Right. I to to me the basic way to put it is taking a person and through different processes, kind of like hijacking or hacking into their consciousness. And forcing them to either be under your control or to divulge some kind of information. So uh, let's look at two different, in pop culture, very popular kinds of mind control. So the first one we're going to look at is something called Project MK Ultra. Yaz, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to talk more about like the Canadian operation of Project MK Ultra because it relates more to me and stuff. But let me just like introduce what... Is this a global what, thing? No. <laughs> Yaz will never admit it. You know, you know who he gets down with. Yeah, that's true. What are when they I, doing over at the Yale Club? <laughs> Brian, right don't door. ask questions. God damn it. 
don't ask questions I don't want the answer to, right? Exactly. Okay, so what right. is MKUltra? So MKUltra was a CIA mind control program, program that started in 1953 and ended in 1973. The program was for mind control by, expo- by testing out human subjects and seeing if we can break them down in terms of getting them to confess. Back then, there was like a whole communist scare because of the Cold War and stuff. The most fucked up part of Project MK Ultra, in my opinion, was what happened in Montreal at the time. Um, Montreal is dear to my heart because I grew up there. I used to work by that area where Project MK Ultra took place because it was right next to the university. Um, so the CIA back then, in order to facilitate research on Project M- uh, MK Ultra in terms of like um, mind control and stuff, they would disguise organizations like. Um, fake organizations that are promoting um, psychiatrist, uh, you know, studies all over, the, like, North America. They would find research that is interesting to them because they're like, hey, if we fund it, we can get, you know, data back about how to control people and stuff. One of the people they funded was a doctor called Dr. Cameron. Dr. Cameron, doctor, um, he was originally from Albany, New York. Um, he was invited to Montreal to McGill University to run the Allen Memorial Institute. The Allen Memorial Institute is the psychiatry department of uh, McGill University. It was at a hospital called Royal Victoria Hospital. I walk by it all the time. It was like a beautiful area, but like every time I look at the Allen Memorial Institute, it freaks me out, man. It freaks me out because what happened in there was really fucked up. Um, Dr. Cameron basically was very interested in figuring out what causes mental illnesses in people. So he was very focused mostly on schizophrenia and stuff. And he believed that people can be, their brains can be hacked in such a way to reverse engineer mental illnesses. He thought that the reason people had mental illnesses was because if they were subject to negative uh, social behavior that can be phased out of their, you know, out of their brain and stuff. And... He thought like the one way to get rid of those social behavior, those negative social behaviors, was through a th- thing called depatterning. Depatterning was a very controversial technique. Where, first of all, he would induce long, long sleep in his patients, like three, four days of sleep. Then after that, he would um, electrocute them, electroshock them, electroshock therapy mm-hmm. for like. Usually back then, if somebody had a depression, they would do an electroshock therapy like once a week. He would do it four times, four to five times a day on patient. So he he did all that, and, and then he would also induce some um, LSD in his patients. Um, the patient, after you know get, going through all that, they would get to a childlike state of like incognition. They don't know what the fuck is going on around them. They're like, I mean, you can imagine, right? I mean, like you're subject to all this kind of weird fucked up behavior in patient. Um, that was the depatterning phase. Then there was another phase called um, psychic driving. Psychic driving is even more fucked up because now that they're in like a childlike, you know, like fetus stage, they don't know what the fuck is going on. He would play audio music or audio tapes and video. Of Baby repeat- Einstein? Of Baby what? Einstein videos? Not, uh, not Einstein. I mean, maybe oh. there was an Einstein video, but... <laughs> no, heard of Baby Einstein? What's no. Baby Einstein? No. Oh, God, you guys... Y'all need kids in your lives. I have kids in my life. What's Baby Einstein? I got you right now. Go ahead. Keep going. I'm guessing he it's did. a kid show. He plays... Uh, With a young Einstein. Yeah. yeah okay, probably. we got it. Probably like Jimmy Neutron, right? <laughs> nah, it's uh, it's, it's basically like a series of like children's uh, music that you play to like the kid in the womb and shit. Right, yeah. You know what I'm talking uh, about? I, 
I get the title now. Oh, so it's supposed to make them smart. Yeah, it's I supposed see. to be like music that you play for the kid when they're like... Uh, like some Mozart. Yeah, in the room, like or like you play it for like babies yeah. and shit so, like that. I mean, like as far as been recorded... It's actually just this shit, but like, <laughs> marketed way better. Wait, so every kid who's gone through Baby Einstein is an MK Ultra participant? I mean, shit, it seems they, like I mean, if they, we'll, we'll if, find out in twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Nah. So go no, ahead. No, no, so, you only find out when the sun dies. So this is uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is after repetition stage. They start. They get you to driving. the yeah. So yeah. he plays repeated audio clips and video clips of like just like repeat the same audio over mm-hmm. and over again just to try to instill an idea. Now, what kind of ideas? There's like not really known. And stuff. Okay. But like he would do that in such a way. Like imagine you're like locked down. Lockdown, and then it's like, you know, there's audio being played in a loop, loop, loop for a long period right. of time. And you're trying to instill maybe some ideas into their brain and stuff. Yeah, it's like you're stuck on the train, right? And like you just listen to the same album how because long, you can't stream anything. How long did this service? de-patterning period last? Do you know? It was like a, probably like a few weeks. To a month. few weeks? Yeah, dude, like he was so like, not how, that probably, long. It probably but felt like, but like forever. Oh, but yeah, is there, sure. is there yeah, a phase right. after the psychic driving? The f- after the psychic driving, it was just like analysis, whether they're like, they're they they're like they trained their and like know. and like reprogramming them yeah that's like in a way right. reprogramming them to get rid of the mental illness now what happened after i'm not sure in terms of like like if there's another phase after because it was not documented but i what i know after is the patients like they were fucked up after they issued complaints against you know canada and mcgill university wait the patients themselves this patient themselves they're still alive and they're like but they were capable of issuing complaints against because after Canadian that they're governments. like I mean like they, it took him a while but like it in the only like the hmm. sort of like around the 1977 in U.S. Congress you know exp, you know doing their research into MK Ultra it's like exposed what happened to McGill yeah and, like the the church committee yes the church committee brought out the documents through the exactly. Freedom of the uh, Information Act yeah the Information Act Freedom of Information Act right and only then did they they find out what happened to the patient and because I think there are some patients in the US that were like compensated for like being part of MK Ultra, not related to McGill University, mm-hmm. gave a good arming for our argument for the patient at in Montreal and to get compensation. So what happened after was like McGill University compensated the patient for like all the fucked up shit they did. It was a very controversial thing at the time because electroshock therapy is not good for you. Right, I, I mean, mean, none of that is none, <laughs> so, so, none of, of the torture wait, is generally. What did you not just say? <laughs> I mean, I do it almost every day. But whatever. So, some of the conspiracies tied to MK Ultra have to do with some of the subjects mm-hmm. being reprogrammed to become assassins right. and being reprogrammed to become sleeper cells that they didn't even know they were they sleeper cells. Right. So it's something where it's like you know, like like yeah, I said they deep pattern you, and then they like basically like hide information in your brain that like certain things like a code word can trigger you to like kind of like almost like lose your consciousness and just become this like automaton right. yeah it's like winter soldier te- like a winter exactly, exactly like winter, winter soldier. soldier yeah yeah so that's the whole uh basis like they inspire like they inspire each other right yeah so like winter soldier like that's like an example of mm-hmm. what the conspiracy behind mk ultra is is that right. They did this, but that the CIA was using it to take like certain candidates that were like, you know, whatever, physically or mentally fit to be able to like assassinate key figures. And that some of the assassins throughout history, such as the guy who killed Martin Luther King and the guy who killed John Lennon. And like, I mean, there's some pretty out there uh, speculation. Yeah. uh, That they were participants of MKUltra and that the, the records just got wiped. This is actually weird. Who killed Martin Luther King? The guy who killed Martin Luther King. 
Damn, they really don't talk about him very much. Yeah, just I feel I like uh, everybody knows who James Earl Ray. Ray. James Jinx, Earl Ray. Personal Jinx, you owe me a <laughs> James Earl Ray. So there you go. So some people think that. Uh, so that's what an MK Ultra. So you'll notice that a lot of the looks like. a lot of the assassins have three names. How many people do you know that you call by their middle name? So that's Mark a Southern thing, no? Mark David Chapman, oh. James Earl Ray, John Wilkes Booth. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. How many people do you talk about including their middle names? So some people think that that's kind of like a tell of the conspiracy and that's that there's some kind of code yeah. aspect to like their names. Oh, you're blowing my shit. But there are a lot of them that have like, it's like, well, why do we use their middle name? Like that's kind of an odd thing, right? Like yeah, yeah. you don't really think about it, but like everyone I just named is known by their middle name as part of their name, but it's like... Like why the, don't why don't we call Robert E. Lee, Robert whatever the hell his middle name Edgar. is. Right? <laughs> Robert Edgar Lee. <laughs> Robert Emmanuel Lee. Yeah. So that's that's part of the MK Ultra thing. Ed, Edward. Edward. Edward? Oh, I was close. Oh, word. So now now we're gonna branch out into another form of mind control. Yeah, I'm 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 really tripping out over the three name thing right now. I don't know yeah. if that's a, if that's like an act of marketing, because I, I believe like a lot of shit is just marketing. Like, you know what I mean? Like uh, John Wilkes Booth is like different than John Booth. You know what I mean? If you're talking about the guy that killed uh, Lincoln, but Holy shit. that shit is mad interesting to me right Mark now. Mark David, David Chapman. Chapman. Like, why do they do that? It could also be a tell for like other organizations around the around the the planet, like mm-hmm. so that they know that like this is how they communicate that it was a sleep a successful sleeper cell exactly assassination. It, it, it's like a flag, like okay, like success. You know, like we we did oh, it. Oh, that's fucking wild. All right, I, th- 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 take me further down the <laughs> rabbit hole. Let's go to the next market show. You cracking my nut? Okay, so so th- <laughs> this one is non-political, but we're gonna take it back to uh, something a little more ancient. Actually, Edgar, something in your neck of the woods over there on Hispaniola. Oh, that's my spot. Yeah, Haitian zombification. So right off the bat, do any of you believe in zombies? Like, do you do you think there's a such thing as a zombie? Yes, I'm a zombie after I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs> right after, I'm I'm like a fucking zombie, man. I've uh. I know of a parasite that infects caterpillars that turns them into zombies. Ooh. And they basically hijack their neurological system to force them to walk onto the top of the highest plant so that they can be eaten by birds so that the parasite can proliferate. Yeah, that is a hijacking of the highest order right there. Damn, oh, yeah, dude, that blew my mind. Yeah. The, yeah, basically the caterpillar no, turns into like the zombie-like real. state. Yeah. It's a real What's thing. What's the name of this parasite? Look that up. Now tell me about the human okay. caterpillars. So when you, yeah, it is a lot like that actually. So when you think of zombies, you think of like Walking Dead, you think of all that kind of stuff. But a yeah, lot I don't of, believe in that kind of supernatural right. so, zombie. Like right. So that that tends to be something where like you know that you get bit and then it it extends past that. But the first associations with zombies were from Haitian voodoo. So a lot of the myths of voodoo touch on Haitian witch doctors who can supposedly use voodoo dolls to harm people use the evil eye to make curses, commune with spirits, and bring people back from the dead as zombies that are like their minions, right? Mm. Uh, so I don't know about the rest of this stuff, but I do know that zombies are real. In the early 1980s, a guy named Dr. Wade Davis. Guaranteed. 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 Do you know a guy named, have you ever heard of a guy named Dr. Wade Davis? He's actually been part of many experiments. So he's an ethnobotanist and anthropologist. In the early 1980s, he went down to Haiti for what he called the zombie project. Because there was a Haitian man named Clervius Narcisse who 
Super his, Haitian name. His family, yeah, right. Super. So, that was so on the nose, yo. <laughs> Clarivius Narcisse is like, yo, yeah, like, like wild throw, Haitian. Yeah. yeah, throw a dart. You hit Clarivius Narcisse. And, come, and his family said he had come back from the dead 18 years later after they buried him. What? Right. So everyone who knew this guy was shocked because they had a funeral, everything. They put him in the ground. And to make it much more of a reputable case, he was actually pronounced dead by American doctors in a hospital. It's not like they just like thought he was dead and buried him or something like that. So he was declared dead by American doctors. So they tested this guy, Clarivius, with information from his life, and they found out that, you know, he was in fact the person he said he was. So what happened to Clarivius Narcisse? He had claimed that a witch doctor had zombified him using mysterious powders. And this is why the doctor, Wade Davis, had come to Haiti to investigate because too much of these things kind of like signaled, okay, like powders. Okay, now I'm thinking there's some kind of like ethnobotanical explanation for like what happened here. So uh, so somehow this doctor, Wade, uh, this accredited doctor, got in contact with some locals and was able to get in contact with some witch doctor. And he pays for a sample of what this powder is and he gets a couple of the samples and he starts analyzing them. Through his studies, he established that there are, in fact, properties to this powder that induce zombie state. Um, it is an extract from a pufferfish and a type of poisonous toad that contain powerful neurotoxins. So think of this zombifying someone as like a two-step process. So first off, you, put, you expose them to these powders that get secreted through the skin. Um, and the powder induces this type of paralysis, but the person is still conscious. But to all inspecting people, the person is dead. It's as if the person is dead. But they can see and observe everything that's going on around them. So they're kind of like being traumatized as this is happening because they're watching their own funeral. They're watching themselves get buried. They're watching themselves get covered and they can't move. They can't do anything. And the person is so convinced that they're dead that the second step is psychological where the person who exposed them to the powders digs them up you know, pats the grave so it looks like the grave wasn't messed with, takes them to some special lair, and feeds them a special hallucinogenic. So the person is mentally traumatized from witnessing their own death. They're exposed to this powerful hallucinogenic, and they're still exposed to this neurotoxin. And so they're tripping their balls off to the point where they're susceptible to whatever the person says. And because culturally they know what a zombie is, and especially in Haitian culture, they fear it. That fear plus trauma, uh, traumatization. traumatization plus the neurotoxin plus the hallucinogenic makes them susceptible to whatever this person says. Wow. So this guy, Narcisse, lived for 18 years in that state doing whatever this person says. And I, I guess at some point the guy just like let him go. And that's how he was able to escape or like maybe the maybe guy the died or something. Died, yeah. So the thing is, if you if they stop exposing you to the toxins, you it wears off at a certain point. Yeah. Haiti actually has a law against zombification <laughs> on the awesome. books. Look it up. I approve. Yeah. Uh, and there's yeah, this group. So, I so have you ever heard of the Bazango? No. no. What is See, that? See, Edgar, I keep expecting you to know like some of this stuff. Okay. Bazango? Y'all neighbors, but the wall is big between yeah, it's a, it's Haiti and wall, DR. Okay. I'm, from, I'm from the Bronx, Okay, bro. fair enough. Man. <laughs> you know, I'm expecting that's, some... That's a faraway wall. Yeah, I'm expecting <laughs> some Bronx, kind of a combination yeah. here. All right. So the Bazango are the Illuminati of Haiti. Okay. It's a secret organization, and part of what they do is zombification. And part of what they do is people pay them to do this to people as a punishment. 
So usually when someone hires a witch doctor to zombify someone, it's a punishment for going against their family. So after all this was discovered, Narcisse told authorities that his brother had done it to him because of a land dispute. And a lot of these cases, there actually tends to be like, you know, it happens to a woman and like she married uh, against her father's wishes. Yeah. The father hires someone to do it. It's like a punishment, like a waking nightmare for years and years and years. It's fucking insane. Yeah, that's, that's insane. actually all the way crazy. People yeah. have a lot of time on her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what you could do to these people, though. Dude. <laughs> like, 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 like you really just you decoded their entire brain now. Right. And now you could just put in whatever you want. So yeah. which which would you prefer the the electro, <laughs> like the the MK Ultra version or the pufferfish powder version? I think I, they I both think, suck. I think I I think I would go with the pu- the pufferfish powder version. Yeah. Uh, just I think out of sheer vanity, it'd be great <laughs> to attend my own funeral and see what people say about oh, that's me. That's true. That's true. Like just that's actually not a bad point. Wait, so this guy remembers his funeral. Well, you remember. You remember. <laughs> you remember everything. So that's up the thing. until up until the brainwashing. No, no, no. You never lose your ability to observe. You lose your ability to control what oh. you do and say. So again, part of it is cultural and psychological. Like you know that zombies are a thing. So you've, you've become tricked into becoming. It's yeah, like so a type is of, that kind of like that whole like if you're willing to accept being hypnotized? Yes. It's exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like entirely discernible, like indiscernible from actually dying and coming mm. back for, for the believer. Wow. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if if you don't have that background of, of the zombification, I, I think you might be able to live through it, honestly. Like know. like you'll get buried, funeral, whole thing, and then find help as soon as you wake back up. Yeah, but how much how much of it is like control against your will or and how much of it is like control against your will I, I think it's like a hijacking like it's almost like they take <laughs> Wait, did i just say the same thing twice <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what i'm like, yeah. I'm like yo, uh, I, control yo, against your yo, will make sure or like, you, make sure control you can, against yeah. your will <laughs> <laughs> he he and the beautiful part is that he knew exactly what you were no, asking because yeah. he was like no look listen it's control against yeah. your will i'm like wait you just, what control what against it? your will or like no. you willingly allowed yourself to be controlled but that's I, the same. and like you kind of like act you kind of like act I think along like, with it, you know? The best word for it, I think, is like susceptibility. Right. So you become like susceptible to it. Now, of course, if you were no longer mentally convinced of it, you would snap probably right out of it. Or if you'd never heard of a zombie before, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't even work. You would probably just be like all fucked up and tripping balls, but you wouldn't probably like give over your free will. Uh, it, it, I think it is kind of will. Like, like or you're willingly giving them your will because mm-hmm. you're kind of like... You're almost like hopeless, so you just kind of like give up, and then you're just like, "Well, I guess you know, I'm going to fracture <laughs> yeah. my psyche over it's here like, and just be up. tormented." Yeah, <laughs> a lot of wills to give. But the MK Ultra thing seems much more, much more like it doesn't matter if you grew up in the culture or not. Like this is going right, exactly. to happen. Right, exactly. That's that's why I'm like, yeah, that's like irreversible torture. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why like I was them. like kind of trying to like figure out: are they both like two means to the same end? Like forcing you to do something against your will yeah they're both or like one is just sort of like buying into this this uh hysteria well i think that either 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 one is getting you the same outcome right like they're looking for the same outcome uh it's just that one is more requires has a lot of prerequisites yeah well well, no actually i think that one is is more humane (laughs) like which wait which one's more humane watching your your own funeral I think is more humane than the electroshock therapy. The, I, I somehow oh, feel I the opposite, but I can't one. explain why. But just like the idea of thinking that I'm that I've become a zombie, 
sounds so much more horrible than like continuously passing out and being confused. Oh, it but also sounds like suck. it also sounds like this is a consequence of someone that you know, possibly like your own family member forcing this upon you as opposed to yeah. the government yeah like, like someone exactly yeah. like someone it's not as if like oh like you betrayal. were just picked yeah exactly you got stabbed in the back in a way like yeah but if, at least you have someone if to I were your brother <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck like yo the, yeah my brother made me into a zombie it's totally within my right to smack the shit out of him you know what yeah. i mean like if the government does it to you there is no one to smack like your best case scenario is like taking point. them to court you know uh, what i mean and and, and even at that end like they're not going to get electroshocked when they go to prison. Like, it's just like you, like, there is no well, retribution. Law, so, no. Yeah, well, there's no <laughs> retribution, like, for the government yeah. or for you this doctor. Like, McGill University is still open for business. Yeah. Like, I mean, that university that, under website. That, that allowed this to happen and let that run is still, still in business. You know what I mean? Like, so. Under, under website for the psychiatry department, they try to downplay the whole involvement of Dr. Oh, Cameron. I'm sure they supper. do. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but, they're like, but fucking like, Americans mean, ruined it. <laughs> but like, I mean, the way I see it, like turning into a zombie to be mind controlled versus MK Ultra, like the whole process of like sleeping for a few days and electroshock therapy and like LSD for me, it just feels like a regular weekend to me so <laughs> compared to like getting zombified. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess, all right, so I think think that we're in a, I feel like I'm in an interesting space with this one because I feel like this one is neither pop nor con. I don't think that it's a popular thing that people buy into, and I also don't think it's a conspiracy. It feels like it's all facts. I guess the biggest biggest conspiracy aspect is whether or not any of it was successful Mm -hmm. in making sleeper cells. Both are conspiracies because one is the Bazango and the other one's the CIA. So they're conspiracies. It's just a matter of like, there are organizations that stealthily do this. Yeah. Right. Oh, but okay. those are conspiracies. But is it, is it like a known fact that the CIA funded this guy? Yes. It is. Oh, yeah. Like the zombie stuff? Yeah. No, not the MK Ultra. MK Ultra. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a fact. Like the freedom. They gave him but money to do this exactly. research. They funded Dr. Cameron, but like we're using a fake organization. So he doesn't he didn't know that the CIA was funding him. For yeah. them, he was just like he was just trying oh, to start. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he, even better. They didn't know, he didn't know that the CIA was funding the program, but it was evidence that the yeah. CIA used like fake <laughs> organization. Yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, we're the, check, we're the organization called AIC. Intelligence centralism. Yeah, because he proposed the research. was in a Caesar cipher. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, imagine <laughs> if you found out that the company you work for, that your paychecks come from the CIA, like just one day, like 30 years later. We're like, what? Sucks. Freedom no, of Information Act. Written in Pig Latin. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because the way they it is this like he proposed it as a research to try to reverse mind uh like you know mental illness like schizophrenia yeah. and stuff using controversial methods so, so like well wait a second so i guess Me- the real I'm, I'm sorry go ahead sorry i'm just like the way they looked at it is like okay based on his research we can apply it if it works to mind control yeah so i guess the real question is is whether mind control is an actual conspiracy or just a popular topic for movies so that that's that's really where we're at with it. So I'm gonna have to go with mind control being an actual conspiracy. I think that people can be socially engineered to do many of things, uh, and, and we see it happen every day. Actually, like, yeah. you know what I mean. Like people are products of their environment. So right. you put them in different environments, they they are in fact acting with a degree of mind control. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna go. Cons- I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go con on this one. I'm in. I'm in on the zombification i'm gonna give both of these a hard yes and please stay the fuck away from me <laughs> like i don't want anything to do i want you know to be in control of pretty much everything i do until i die so yeah i don't i don't think 
it really like I can be turned into a sleeper cell or like an assassin by one of these things. But <laughs> I don't want to go through that process. It sounds like something a sleeper cell would say. But yeah. yeah. What are you hiding, Brian? Yeah. What are you hiding behind Just that brain? Don't say of my yours? trigger word. <laughs> Catcher in the rye. Yeah. Um, Just murders us all. <laughs> I think Brian's trigger word is food. <laughs> that, he's like he becomes like. <laughs> Wait. So are you buying into the mind control or no? I don't know. I don't think it works. Okay. But the process just sounds terrible. So I'd like stay with the fuck away from me. I think you can look at society nowadays. And like Edgar said before, like there's some process of mind control going. Like if every stupid teenager buys all the Kardashian products, that is mind control. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So I mean, like I'll go fuck yeah, man. Yeah. We're mind controlled motherfuckers, right? Yeah. Mind control is possible. Yo, guys, um, it was great talking to you guys about some encoding and breaking the, the, the cracks. Of the habits, I don't know the cracks of the habits. Yo, <laughs> so, nah, currency value, uh, cryptography, cryptocurrency, all that stuff, breaking the mind. All of it was very interesting, and there's really only one question that we could leave these guys with. What's up? Is it ethical to zombify your brother? <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord.